I'm Rob Dansman, and this is The Better Semester, where I provide insight and actionable advice to parents of college students. I'm a nationally certified counselor and licensed clinical mental health counselor, specializing in work with college students and their parents to improve mental health, organization, and motivation. Finding a Therapist This episode is pulled from my original blog post I wrote in 2019. Today I want to update parents on how to help find mental health services for their college students. When I say mental health services, I'm thinking about the big tent of providers that include psychiatrists, psychologists, in addition to your standard therapist. But let's start with the beginning from the beginning. When your parental sixth sense is tingling, something is not right. Maybe your son or daughter has been acting differently. You may have gotten that vibe over the phone or when you visited during parents weekend and it's pretty clear they're not doing well. They may have less energy. They may be less engaging. They may even seem hypervigilant and worried a lot more about, but without good reason. When you ask about classes, grades, or friends, their response is flat and maybe even avoidant. Services is super limited. Of the therapists that specialize in working with college students, and believe me, there aren't that many, Most have limited availability and still might only be seeing clients via phone or Zoom or a combination of in-person phone or Zoom. So we basically have a supply and demand problem. To make this situation even more challenging, university counseling centers, also called Counseling and Psychological Services, or CAPS for short, often have limited availability and offer a small number of sessions before referring to a therapist in the community. Most CAPs are also not allowed to work with students out of state, which means there's no continuity if a student needs to go home for a semester or needs help over a break. So is it better to look for a therapist at home or school? It's a tricky dilemma. Similar to the issue mentioned above with CAPs, many providers are not permitted to provide mental health services out of the state in which they are licensed. A clinician at home can be used over winter break and summer. A clinician around school can be used August through December, and then again January through May. Tough call on this. What are the benefits of a home therapist? Though most counselors generally have about the same type of training, for example, graduate school, internships, and kind of general life experience, there's a benefit from working with a counselor from your hometown or at least geographical area. There are cultural considerations, colloquialisms, and personality traits that may lend themselves to a faster and stronger rapport between the counselor and the student, even if the counseling is over the phone or virtual. For example, when I get a call from a student or a parent from the Philly or New York area, I'm from the Northeast, there seems to be a quick, oh, you're an East Coast guy, which generally means I talk a bit faster and probably faster than I should, I use way too much sarcasm and make lots of East Coast references or at least try to use them as metaphors. I'm not proud of all this, just observing that folks from the mid-Atlantic region seem to connect easier with me than the Midwest counterparts that I'm surrounded by. If your college student semester ended in mid-May and they're heading back for the fall semester at the end of August, they'll have about 15 weeks of summer to work with a therapist at home. That's a decent amount of time if they have availability immediately and your college kids' challenges don't require more intensive intervention. Getting weekly counseling for that chunk of time could make a big difference and set your college student up for a positive transition back to campus in the fall. 
As with the pre-COVID-19 recommendations, the following obstacles still apply and are important to consider when looking for a local therapist. Is the therapist going on vacation or unavailable for a few weeks? Will there be any substantial disruptions during the summer, or can they meet most weeks? Do they have any openings immediately, or will you get waitlisted? Will they agree to work with someone for just the summer? Does your family have vacation time plan that would get in the way of seeing the counselor? I also recommend clients ask therapists what their setup is for virtual sessions. Do they work from a professional office or home office? If they have a home office, how do they maintain professionalism and confidentiality? There was a recent article in a big newspaper by a counselor who casually mentioned that while she's conducting her virtual sessions, her neighbor's dog can be heard barking and she's downgraded her wardrobe to a comfy t-shirt. Really? I mean, I totally dig her authenticity and transparency, but a therapist's presence and performance, yes, performance, are important to creating an environment fertile for deep connection while also demonstrating and maintaining clear boundaries. So what about school counselors? Or more accurately, counselors and therapists at the school? The benefits and considerations of finding a therapist around college look a lot different, but may not be as immediately satisfying. One really important consideration is that establishing a relationship with a counselor before the start of a semester means you are likely to not get waitlisted. Most students leave spring semester with their fall classes already nailed down, which means you could conceivably get all of the counseling sessions scheduled through till the end of the semester. Therapists generally appreciate this sort of predictability, especially if they specialize in college student counseling. In my practice, I'm typically full before the fall semester even starts. This sort of planning also helps your son or daughter anticipate and plan accordingly if they want to join any clubs or if they will likely have a busy Greek life schedule. Some students may even have their syllabi for the fall and know that certain big assignments or projects or tests will make specific dates and times for sessions really challenging, which means they can move those sessions around to avoid those scheduling conflicts. So we've looked at home versus school for counselors, therapists, but how do we actually find someone? Regardless of whether you're looking for a local therapist or someone near campus, I'll go through some gritty details now on how to do it. Even if you found one in the past, you may have simply Googled therapist or Googled counselor and, and your zip code and found a list of random providers that have offices in your zip code. They probably showed up on Psychology Today. Here's what it might look like if you have that list pulled up in front of you. Okay, I see the list. Okay, I see their headshots. All right, I'm reading through their uh, quote-unquote about me blurbs, but wait, they all seem to say the same thing. How does someone actually figure out not only who is good or not so good, but which one specializes or treats the symptoms my college student is describing? One thing to start off considering is that it's difficult for many reasons to verify a provider's expertise. For instance, you will find therapists that claim to treat all ages, all diagnoses, for example, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, eating disorders, and have expertise in all modalities. For example, dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, 
I can assure you they, ha they may have a basic understanding of those diagnoses and modalities, but they are far from deep experts. Online databases are really good for basically two things. Finding a therapist within your zip code, finding a therapist that accepts your insurance, or at least used to. Another resource that's somewhat helpful is the database kept by your insurance company. Most insurers have client patient portals where you can look up all the therapists within a geographic area. And obviously, also people that accept your insurance. They rarely have much detail about the therapist, but at least you can confirm they're in network. Next, we need to look at the alphabet soup. While you will likely see a whole bunch of letters after someone's name, that's not just egomania uh, or them declaring how smart they are. Many licensing boards require clinicians to list their credentials. I'm not going to list them all out here, but you can check my blog at motivatecounseling.com that has a painful amount of detail about all of the different credentials and what I call alphabet soup after people's names. For now, I'm going to review the most common types of mental health professionals you'll, you'll run into on Psychology Today and some of the other databases. So let's start with psychiatrist. Psychiatrist is a physician. They're an MD or an osteopathic doctor or a DL who specializes in mental health. This type of doctor may further specialize in areas such as child and adolescent or geriatric or addiction psychiatry. Psychiatrists can perform the following, though they primarily prescribe medication. They can diagnose and treat mental health disorders. They can provide counseling, though they're not really well trained in that. And they are primarily used for prescribing medication. A psychologist is a totally different beast. They are trained in, well, psychology. Uh, it's they're trained to examine thoughts and emotions and behaviors. Typically, a psychologist holds a doctoral degree, a PhD or a PsyD or uh, an educational doctorate. Psychologists can diagnose and treat a number of mental health disorders. They can provide counseling and therapy in one-on-one -on -one or group settings. And they are a little bit more trained than psychiatrists to do so. They cannot prescribe medication unless they are in one of few states that actually provides licensing to psychologists to prescribe medication. They typically work with other providers uh, that can prescribe medication. Psychologists also do a fantastic job often of psychological evaluation, psychological testing. Next, licensed clinical social workers. If you prefer to if you prefer a social worker, look for a licensed clinical social worker with training and experience specifically in mental health. A licensed clinical social worker must have a master's degree in social work. Uh, so basically an, a master's of social work, MSW, um, or a doctorate in social work, a DSW or a PhD. Social workers can provide assessments. They can do counseling and therapy with a range of other services. They do not prescribe medication, and they typically work with other providers like psychiatrists to prescribe medication when needed. Next, let's look at counselors, licensed professional counselors, or what is more commonly referred to as licensed clinical mental health counselors are specifically trained 
to deal with one-on-one and family issues. They have a master's degree and their clinical experience is primarily focused on the diagnoses and counseling for specific mental health concerns. They, ne- they do not prescribe medication and they often will work with other prescribers like psychiatrists to prescribe medication when necessary. Next, let's talk about verifying professionals to see if they are legit and not sketchy. When I encourage folks to conduct background checks, I'm not talking about running their info through the FBI database or NSA or something to find out if they're criminals. When considering whether to work with a therapist, just Google their name, look up their info on state licensing board's websites, and also check out their social media. Next, here are some questions that I really encourage parents to ask, and students can ask these as well. I'll just go through a list of them real fast here. Real simply put, when you are looking for a therapist, think of it like you're interviewing someone for a job, which is kind of what you're doing. Treat it like a hiring interview and have a plan. Here is the specific list of questions that you are going to want to ask. What training do you have to treat the issues I described or my son or daughter described? Please give me an example of how you would work with my son or daughter on the issues I described. What are your communication policies between sessions? Have you ever had your license suspended or removed in this or another state? How do you use technology in your practice? Is your agency able to provide weekly and 24-hour reminders prior to sessions? If my son or daughter needs a different type of care or different level of care, what's your experience in working with referral sources? Are you in-network, out-of-network with my insurance? Do you have someone in your practice that files claims and works with insurance? And for virtual and phone counseling, do you work from a professional office or home? If you have a home office, how do you maintain professionalism and confidentiality? You've made it through the search and found a great therapist for your son or daughter. Now what? Well, that takes us to intake and first session. First of all, Make sure that all the necessary intake forms and payment information is completed and the counselor has verified he or she received them. Next, if your son or daughter is meeting virtually or having phone sessions, I recommend clients check their apps, their settings, their login stuff 30 minutes prior to sessions. For in-person sessions, show up early and come with any additional questions, concerns, goals, or obstacles regarding your issues. I love it when clients show up prepared with notes and questions. It's also helpful if they email me prior to the first session so I have more context than just my online intake form. It not only helps me zero in on a diagnostic impression, but also helps me understand how the family operates and what their values are. If you want to participate in the first meeting, let the therapist know. It's best to ask to sit in on the first 30 minutes to download some history and concerns from your perspective as parent. It's also a great time to sign a release of information so the therapist can legally speak with you between sessions. Here's some final notes. One of the best uses of a therapist for summer break is helping parents understand what's going on with their college student and what is the most effective intervention. Developmentally appropriate emotions and behaviors can often look similar to mental health challenges. For example, when one is smoking weed, just normal college kids stuff, And when is it a clinical issue? Your college student's therapist can help differentiate between the two. 
Consistently working with a good therapist over summer break can help your college student feel supported and stabilized. Set them up for a great fall semester while they're also helping parents feel more confident their kiddo is on a healthy path. That's it for this episode on finding a therapist. For more information, check out my blog at motivatecounseling.com or my two books on Amazon. Just search for my name, Rob Dansman.